All right, guys. Find your seat, but don't pick your seat. All right. Uh, we, we are in a brand new sermon series that starts today. And if you were here the last couple weeks, I said that we we're going to start it last week, and we didn't. We talked a lot about our mission and vision as J-Road, which who here knows the three letters or the three words to our mission? It's what? All right, reach. You got reach. Yeah. Reach, equip, send. Everything we do flows into that. So you're like, well, what are we doing right now? Now is about equipping, all right? We're in an equipping time. And so we're going to be studying the book of 1 John. So whenever we start a new series, uh, it's good to give a little background on what this book is about. And I recognize that there are some people here that are borderline Bible scholars, and there's people here maybe that haven't picked up their Bibles in years and are still learning what the books mean or what they are. And it's okay. I'll try to give a thorough enough background to keep both parties interested. Um, But the way we do when we study a book of the Bible, there's two types of preaching. There's topical, which we might teach on marriage. And when I teach on marriage, I'll read a verse from Ephesians and I'll read a verse from 1 Corinthians and I'll just talk about all, everything the Bible says about marriage. When we do an um, expository sermon series, well, that's what this is, we go through a book of the Bible verse by verse. And by the end, we'll read every verse and talk about every verse. And the topics are dictated by what the verse is for that week. Does that make sense? So I don't decide the topic. It's basically what the theme of this passage is and what the verse is and all that good stuff. Does that make sense to everybody? So we're going to try to get through the whole, the whole book of, of 1 John, um, which is not a very long book. But the first question I have for you is, who wrote the book of 1 John? Okay, good. That is the first test, and only like Dave was confident enough to shout it out. Because none of y'all wanted to look like you didn't know what you're talking about. But uh, yes, John is the author of 1 John. Surprise, surprise. Um, John also wrote, the Gospel of John. So if you read the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and uh, he wrote the, the book of John. And, and John was one of the disciples of Jesus. And John was not only a disciple, but he was the cl- like one of the closest. So Jesus had his 12 disciples, and in that 12, he had three that was what scholars call like the inner circle. So he had 12 of his closest disciples, and then he had three of his inner circle, and that was, John was in that inner circle. John was in that inner circle. So, arguably, John spent the most time with Jesus. John is the only disciple that was at the cross when Jesus was crucified. Because we read in John's gospel, Jesus looked at John and said, you know, take care of my mom, you know, when I'm gone. So, John was really had the, one of the closest, most intimate relationships with Jesus because he was close to him like no one else. So it's really um, worth pointing that out. And so he wrote the book, of, the book of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, which are three letters written by John. And then he wrote the book of Revelation. And so those are the, the, the works of John when you read it. Um, and this is one of the main things. If you study the book of the letter of 1 John, like why did he write it? Who's the audience? You know, he didn't write it to a particular church, like the letter to the Ephesians. Like, you know, that was a church in Ephesus. He was writing it to like all the churches in 
opposition to a false teacher who is going around teaching false teachings. And so this guy, like, so John was with there with Jesus. He saw the resurrected Jesus. He saw Jesus ascend. And then he goes out with the other disciples and apostles to spread the good news of Jesus. And they're seeing people come to Jesus. And alongside of them, there's opponents that are teaching false teachings. And he's like, oh my gosh, this guy is teaching false teachings. And people are believing him. And it's getting enough notoriety where I'm going to write a letter to, to say what's up. So in this, it's really a response to this guy, Serenthus, uh, Serenthus, however you say it, Serenthus, um, who was a false teacher at that time. And he came up and he was sharing a different gospel, but it was close enough to the gospel where people were starting to be led astray. And so he was teaching this against that. Um, the, the, the biggest differences with Serenthus is he taught that Jesus was a normal man, and there's nothing miraculous about the virgin birth, and that he taught that Christ, the Spirit of Christ, came upon the normal man, Jesus, and was on, like at baptism, and which is a false teaching, not true. But you see how the difference is, and you, when you read the book of 1 John, you see why John is so passionate about things that he's passionate about. Because he says, I touched Jesus, the Christ came down in flesh and blood, and the Word was with God, you know, in, in the book of John. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word is from the beginning, so Jesus wasn't just a normal man who had the Spirit of Christ. Jesus was the Christ in flesh, right? And so that's why, you know, when you think about all the things, all the false teachings, you think about why John said what he said, and then through that, he combats the lies of, first, of this certain this guy, and he shows the truth. And so we learn about the truth of God as he's combating the lies of this guy. Does that make sense? And so it was really a general letter to anybody. It, wasn't, it was just written to say, this guy is not true. Um, there's, there's another guy who's teaching a, a different way. So here are some of the false teachings that this guy was teaching. He denied that Jesus was the Christ. He denied that Christ came in the flesh, as I said. He denied the authority of Jesus' commands. He denied that believers need to love one another. He denied that righteous conduct is a requirement as fellowship with God. He denied the demand for believers to live as Jesus lived. And we see that in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. He says, we must walk as he walked. So he's saying, we must walk as Jesus walked. We must live as Jesus lived as believers. Okay? Um, so John was speaking to these false teachings. And John uses some pretty harsh words. When you realize that he's writing in regard to an opponent who is spreading lies, you realize that in 1 John 3.10, he says this, you guys are either going to be children of God or you're going to be children of the devil. He's like, are you either going to follow God in my teachings because I was with him or are you going to follow this other guy who's really just teachings of the devil? So he like really made some sharp distinctions for the church and he's saying, who are you going to listen to? And he made some harsh things. So that's why he says, you know, you're going to be either children of God or children of this other guy. And, you know, I think about that today. You know, what are some false teachings that the church believes today? You know, what are some false teachings that the church believes today that you could probably think of? I'm sure if you really thought, you could think of a few. Um, and I think over my time as Pastor Jericho Road, I think I've seen false teachings and um, seen false teachings. But when you see false teachings, it's not like somebody comes up on stage and shares like a sermon that's, that's air, filled with errors, you know. 
when we think of false teachings, it's somebody who goes around and maybe tells people things. So they share it in their missional community. Maybe they believed it, and they're trying to get other people to believe it as well. Or they're planting seeds that are actually lies. You know, when we hear it all the time. Um, one of the things I think that we believe, whether we don't say it a lot, or some of us believe, is that as Christians, we do not need to try to live righteously. And we've written everything off as like trying to live for God or live righteously as like, that's just legalism. You know, we're free in Christ to do whatever we want. And so it goes down into like just living without any obedience to the word of God. And, he, and really, First John talks a lot about that as well. The other thing I, I can see is a believer doesn't need to be in community, which means, hey, I could A, watch church online, and I could get as much out of it than any missional community or any church service. And, you know, really, First John talks a lot about, like, we need to be in fellowship with one another, and that's where our hope is full, is when we're in fellowship with Christ, and we're in fellowship with one another, and we can't do life, we can't do church separated. And you talk to people about that all the time, or like, I'm fine, you know, I have my relationship with God, I don't need anybody else. And that's not true. It's just not true. And that's, you know, probably one of the false teaching that maybe has creeped in in our day and age. Um, the, the other one that I'm hearing, and I talked about two weeks ago, is there's no difference between men and women. There's just no difference. And, and really, when you break that down, like, there's no difference, they would say there's no difference in who God give roles to the husband, God is given special instructions to the husband or has special instructions to the wife. We talked about that two weeks ago in our marriage sermon, so you can watch that. And if you have any complaints about it, you can talk to Tom Zeller. Um, But really, there is no difference between how God designed men or God designed women other than just, gen you know, genetically. And that's just not true. God designed us different. It's both good and both have equal value. Um, the other one that we hear, and maybe we don't hear it in this way, but it's that the Bible is not authoritative or it's not the Word of God. Okay? And I believe that teaching in some ways has creeped in the church and we might see it how we live our lives or how we go about our lives is maybe somebody has said that and maybe it's put doubt in our mind, you know, and, and we've seen it. Like, I've seen people that were faithful attenders of church post things on, on, on social media and like, the Bible was just written 2,000 years ago by a bunch of men for their own agenda. And it's just, how can we know that this is true? And it's really like what it's doing is undermining the Word of God and all that the Holy Spirit and Jesus did to create this document so we have truth to live by. And we say, it was just written by a bunch of men or it's just written by a bunch of people. You know, what is this? It's like, man, you've just undermined all of it. And when you do that, there's no truth. There's no truth. There's nothing to live by. There's no central source of guidance. And, and the Word of God is incredibly important, and it's not that. So I think that's been some eroding there as well. Um, and maybe there's another false teaching that Washington, D.C. will solve all of our problems as a church. <laughs> maybe over the last couple of years, some of us thought that, that the things that happen in Washington, D.C. or in the ballot booth is really going to solve the church's problems, and it's not. It's not going to fix our problems at all. It doesn't matter if every candidate that we think should win wins or doesn't win doesn't win. If the church doesn't listen to God and follow his truth, it doesn't matter what they do. And I don't know how we got off thinking that they are going to help the church one bit. 
Change does not happen there, and it's never been, never going to. It happens with you guys. It happens in our hearts. It happens in our quiet times. It happens in our prayer life. And that's where change starts. So what happens there, it's like, yeah, it's good to do our duty, but it ain't going to change the church. Jesus is in his word. Amen? Okay. So these are just some false teachings that we see. So you guys probably think of some other ones. Um, those are just ones on my mind. Um, but if we wander from the authoritative word of God, we are open, as the Bible says, to be swayed back and forth by every wind and teaching. So everybody is going to have a new truth, a new thing to live by, this brand new teaching that we should live by. And if it's not centered in the word of God, we are going to be tossed around like a boat in the sea without any anchor. Does that make sense? That's why it's so important. So like that's kind of the background, um, short background of 1 John. And I'm going to read our passage for today, which is 1 John 1. And then, as you can imagine, 1 through 4. You know, the first four verses of this passage. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there or your phones. Or it'll be on the screens as well. So it says this. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was revealed, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be complete. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for your word and thank you for this letter that John wrote. And God, help it be transformative to um, not only how we view the word of God, but how we view you. How we, and God, help us Eliminate any lie that we may be believed in our lives um, and replace it with your truth. God, when we open the word of God, help us just not look at it um, through the lens of a false teaching, but help us look at it for what it is. And that's the written, inspired word of God. And help us go to it as our compass, God, as our GPS, when we're lost, we, we look towards it, we, and, and we get direction, God. And so, God, we just thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said? Amen. Amen. <clears throat> so if you read the book of John, the gospel of John, and you read 1 John, they both start almost the exact same way. In the book of John, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so here, he refers to Jesus as the Word as well. And so it says this, what was from the beginning, in verse 1, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. That's the first part. This is verse 1. So if you remember, John's opponent was Serenthus, this guy who was going around and teaching false teachings and developed some sort of following. John is saying, I don't care what this other guy is saying about Jesus. I was with God. I was with Jesus. I have heard Jesus. I have actually touched him. I've touched his skin. I've heard his voice. I spent significant time with him. If you're going to believe anybody, believe what I have to say. And so John spends the whole first part of this letter just 
telling them, hey, this other guy, he wasn't with Jesus. I was with him. And even, you know, he's seen Jesus on the cross. He talked to Jesus. I mean, beyond what was recorded in the Gospels, he's had conversations face-to-face with Jesus. And he's writing this to saying, if you're going to believe a truth, believe my truth. Not this guy's truth. And I'm here to set the record straight, and my truth is, my witness is, is valid. Um, so as we said, John, is, John witnesses Jesus' death. He witnesses his resurrection. He's the closest to him. <clears throat> and John is saying, listen to me. And, and, and John's words became what we call canon. If you look at canon, is when they decided the canon of Scripture, is they decided what was the guiding factor for a letter to be considered an inspired word of God. And it, and it had to be, a, it was a rigorous test, and councils have d- d- discussed this. And it's people that had to be with Jesus or had an encounter with Jesus, like Paul, or the, they, it was verified these people actually were with Jesus and heard his words with their own ears, and they saw him with their own eyes, and they touched him with their own hands. And that's what he's talking about. Um, so as a church, we get this amazing privilege to read the words of somebody who is actually with Jesus. Now, when you step back and really think about that, that's pretty awesome. You might be thinking, or I people say, like, I wish I could just talk to God. I wish I could just talk to God and know what he's thinking. And it's like, he's given you, like, he's given you a lot of hints right here of what he's thinking. And if we understand it, if we search it, if we value this, it will set our direction, Right? And it, well, the first thing we got to do is battle all the lies that we've been told about this and, and cast that out first. So we must do what the Bible says. We can't just learn about the Bible. We can't just think it's a good book. We can't just have the head knowledge, but we actually have to practice what it says. We have to put the words into practice. And when I meet with people and give them counsel of what to do, or I do marriage counseling, or I try to help people, I show them the Bible and what the Bible says and where I get that from the Bible. Because if you tell me how to live my life, I'm okay with that, even though I said that kind of aggressively. I'm okay with that. (laughs) I don't care. Like, that's what we're supposed to do as a church. And if Jeff comes to me and says, Jim, you're out of line, my first response is like, I'm glad you brought it. Like, what did I do? And he tells me, but he should also show me where he sees that in the Word of God. Does that make sense? Otherwise, it's all, you know, just opinion. And opinion are like belly buttons. Everybody has one and they're all full of lint, right? You know, like, <laughs> maybe Bruce has heard a variation of that somewhere. Don't have to share it, Bruce. Um, so we have to go to the Bible And what Satan, our enemy, is always going to do is try to undermine the Bible in our lives and discredit the Bible, okay? Um, And we see that the first thing Satan did is what's still happening today and was happening with this false teacher with John. And it happened in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. It was the first time that Satan has ever discredited the very words of God. Look at it. It's only one verse, John 3, 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other other wild animals um, the Lord God had made. The Lord God is supposed to be separated, but that's my typo. Um, He said to the woman, which was Eve, 
Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And all he did, like, he didn't straight up lie, but he just casted doubt. Just, just put a seeds of doubt. And that's really what Satan does in our minds. And I try to tell people this all the time. Satan is always going to throw seeds of doubts in your mind. And those seeds, if not plucked up with the truth of God's word, are going to grow into sin if you let Satan drop those seeds in your mind of doubt. Does that make sense? Did God really say that? Is, like, did the Bible really say that? And I get that so much. And, and I've been times, and you guys know I've talked about it in service a lot, like, where I've like, tried to like, talk to people and talk about the Word of God and share with them. And they said, that doesn't really mean what that says. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? And they're like, well, that was written to the Corinthians. And the Corinthians, they had a big problem with, with such and such. And, and then he actually meant this. And by the time that they did some theological jujitsu, it's like, I don't even know what I'm reading anymore. And I'm like, God has given us the Word of God, and it says what it says. And I know that there is different contexts, and it, wasn't, it was written to a people at a specific time, and we have to filter it through that context. But sometimes it's just so flipped upside down and torn inside out, it totally voids it of the original meaning, which God is trying to tell us. And it starts out, does it really say that? And then it's about everything. Is this guy, is this husband I married, is he really the one God has for me? Is this really, is God, does God really love me? We sang about it in our second or third song. Does God really love me? I don't think so. Does God really, do I have value? Was I, am I really saved? And one of you, so many in the church struggle with this, is am I saved or am I going to go to hell when I die? And what we're doing is Satan is just doubt, making you doubt the goodness of salvation and the freedom that we have in grace, Right? So he's always planting doubts, and he did that here in, in Genesis. And so this Serenth guy is planting seeds, and Paul's talking about it. They're not Paul, but John's talking about it. He's like, I was there. Um, so the Bible was written by eyewitness accounts from men who were with Jesus. And I could go into all the ways that, that the, the original manuscripts are preserved, and it's the most preserved ancient text that we have by mile. There's 5,000 ancient manuscripts, and the closest one is Homer's Iliad, which has 500. That's the next closest, and the Bible has 5,000 original manuscripts dated from the first century. It was so well preserved that they had people copied it by hand and if they messed up one letter, they had to throw out the whole manuscript and start over. It was so well preserved because they knew that these were the eyewitnesses' account of people who were with God. And so it has authority for, to, to live by and to, to use, and it's good. So he said, I've seen the word, I have touched the word with my hands, and the, the, what I'm telling you is truth. And if we discredit the Word of God, the Bible will have absolutely no authority in our life. If the Bible has absolutely no authority in our life, and it's not our anchor, then we are left to find our own anchor. Each person is up to finding their own anchor, and we find our own source of truth. And that's really what America has been, right? 
And not America, like the whole world. People who don't know Jesus, we are left to find our own truth. And you might find your truth in this particular author. You might find your truth in this particular YouTube creator or TED Talk speaker or, you know, CNN journalist or Fox News journalist or some podcaster that you really like or Joe Rogan. And you're saying, this is truth to me. And it's like, that's not truth. (laughs) That's lies. Anybody's opinion is not truth. And when we are left to come up with our own truth, we come up with some very weird, weird things. Like very, very weird things. I don't know, I wasn't even bring this up, I didn't put it in my notes, but somebody told me this week, their teacher in the public school system that said that kids, like if they believe, like even a young kid in third grade believes that they're like an animal, that they need to be like treated as such. And it's like, and I'm not here to talk about that. I mean, there's tons of things to talk about. It's like, but I'm like, really? In some schools in certain states are like putting litter boxes in the bathrooms for the, the kids who think they're dogs to use or you, cats to use. I think they're called furries or furbies. I don't know. I thought furby was a toy. I'm not saying that those kids that believe that don't have value in God's eyes. Do you get what I'm saying? I'm not saying that they're a lost cause, they're horrible people. I'm saying that kids are kids, and that's why God's given parents to show kids the truth And when they say, no, honey, you're not a dog, it's not wrong. It's not abuse. It's like, that's what we're supposed to do. Shoot, when I was a kid, I'd probably be a lizard by now, you know, thinking what I wanted to be. I don't know. But that's why God's given us parents to teach our kids the truth, right? And that's why there's one truth. Otherwise, we're all left to have our own truth. And that's not ever what God wants, is us to each have our own truth. Um, And that's why I don't like the term, this is my truth. There's different ways to say that, possibly. um, Like, this is, you know, what I believe about myself. I could see that. But it always goes back to there's one truth. There's one thing God says about you. There's one place we get our identity. And that's in what God inspired the Word of God. So Jesus selected the apostles to write down these teachings. And hear why this is so good. Um, In John's Gospel... Jesus is explaining to the disciples how we are going to get the scriptures, okay? And and it's found in John chapter 14, verses 23 um, through 26. So Jesus is talking to his disciples, and all the scholars believe that this is him telling them that they're going to know how to write the word of God, okay? So he tells them, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will keep, he'll come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine. Um, the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, who's the Helper? Okay, who's the Helper? God sent His Holy Spirit to dwell in us and to dwell within them. And He tells His disciples, the Helper. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, oh, man, I tried to quiz you guys, and it's like the, literally the next question. I didn't, that's what I get for reading too fast. Um, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will do what? He'll teach you all the things, and he'll bring to your what? Remembrance, all that I've said to you. So we say the Word of God is not only written by people who are eyewitnesses, but they had a helper, a guide in the Holy Spirit. And that's why we say the Word of God is the inspired by the Holy Spirit 
word of God, and it could be trusted, and it could have authority over your life. And it is good. Guys, I understand that some of you have, people have used the word of God to spiritually abuse you. And I know that's true. And I am sorry if that's ever happened to any of you. And I talk to, I know a lot of you really well. And I know that people have used the word of God to say, hey, it says it here, you're wrong, you know, or it talks about hell and that's where you're going or, or whatever it says. But it's not, I mean, I can't speak to all the times that maybe people have used this to abuse you or they use this incorrectly. But the word of God in its original intention, it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, is good because Jesus is good. Amen? And he wants us to live our life by this. And so if ever I come to you or anybody else or we talk in our missional communities, we should always look at, when you read a truth in here, we should ask ourselves, is my life aligned with this? And when I tell you something, it's not my opinion. I'm just trying to get you to live our life by this because the word of God says, Jesus says, those who love me obey my commands. And everything that he said is written in here, and it's good. Amen? Amen. Okay. A couple more minutes. So it's, a whole, it's the eyewitness account accompanied by the Holy Spirit's inspiration. So the, the second part of 1 John 3 is, uh, 1 John 1, verse 3 and 4 says, What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you. So everything we've seen, everything we've heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write to you so that our joy may be complete. As we're going to be studying the book of 1 John, that is kind of the gist of the whole book of 1 John, is that believe our testimony that we proclaim to you, and if you believe it, we will have fellowship with us as the church, and our fellowship is with God the Father and Jesus Christ. And we do that so that our joy may be full, so that we may have joy. And, and that's kind of the main premise of why he's writing this. Like, I want you to know the truth so that you could actually be, know the truth, have fellowship with us, and you could have fellowship with God. Because if you don't know the truth, you can't have fellowship with God um, or you can't have fellowship with his people. And then in that, your joy may be complete. So that is the theme, is that your joy may be complete through obedience to the word of God. Um, the result is that your joy may be full. That you may know the word, you may actually obey the word and be in fellowship with believers and your joy is full. So we write this to make your joy complete. I'm going to read three passages that Jesus said in the Gospel of John that John recorded. Um, in worship team, you guys could get set up. I'm just going to read these last three passages that Jesus said. Um, John 15, 11 says this. Jesus says, I have told you this, so you're what? So my... Okay, thank you. I kind of butchered that, so it's not your fault. It's mine. I have told you this so that my what? It may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Jesus, I'm telling you this not to burden you because Jesus already said my burden's light. I'm telling you this so you have joy. You have joy and your, and your joy may be complete. John 16, verse 22 um, to 24 says this, So with you now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. In that day you'll no longer ask me anything. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. And then John 17, 13, this other thing about the fullness of joy or complete joy. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. 
So my question to you this morning, are you filled with joy as a Christian? Do you feel like you are, you feel like you have joy? And I'm not saying that you walk around with a smile and you are at a 10 emotionally 100% of the time because that's nobody. But do you have a wellspring of joy in your heart that you could tap into anytime because of your salvation? You feel like, I don't have an ounce of joy. I don't have any joy. I think that's the point of this verse. Joy is found in a couple things. Number one, joy is found in salvation of Jesus Christ. So we are saved because of what Jesus did on the cross, that simply by believing in him and surrendering our life to him, we could be saved and get the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's where our joy comes from. So no matter how bad our day gets, we have the promise of eternity to look forward to. So really our joy now is a deposit, and our fullness of joy will be experienced when we leave this life and enter the next. That's when our full joy will be ultimately experienced, right? Joy is found in salvation of Jesus Christ. Joy is found in fellowship with other believers, of being with one another, uh, believers and talking with believers. And again, that happens in a great way in missional communities. And so if you're looking for one, sign up back there because I'd like you to be in one. Um, And John wrote this letter so the church would know the truth and not believe lies. And part of this series is replacing the lies that we believe with the truth of God's word so that our joy can be made complete. Let's pray. God, we love you so much, and we just thank you for this word. God, I thank you for John and his letter. God, I pray that as a church that we are able to identify the lies that come our way because, God, we know that our enemy is active in walking around like a roaring lion seeking to whom he may devour. And so as Christians, God, we got a big target on our back, but we know that he can't touch us if we stay close to you. So God, help us find joy in you. Help us obey your word as truth. And God, help us not find truth in other places except for your word, which is a huge blessing to your church. And I pray, God, that during this series, we could uncover lies about ourselves, about our church, and we can replace it with truth. And so we leave here to change people. Pray this all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.